Uh, now, you know that in the United Kingdom, the WC, or uh, water closet, is another way of referring to a toilet. Um, apologies if you've heard this story before, but it's one of my favourites, so I'm going to tell it again. Uh, an English woman went to inquire about um, uh, a holiday cottage in Switzerland. Uh, she went over to Switzerland, she inspected the cottage, and when she arrived at home, she forgot to ask about the toilet facilities. Seems odd, might be an important thing, but she forgot. Anyway, so she sent a letter to the uh, Swiss real estate agent asking for details about the WC. Uh, the agent assumed the WC referred to the Wayside Chapel, a local church, and so his reply was as follows. Dear Madam, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is situated nine miles from the house. It's in the centre of a beautiful grove of pine trees surrounded by lovely grounds. It's capable of holding 229 people, but is only open on Sundays and Thursdays. A great number of people enjoy going in the summer months, this is unfortunate, especially if you're in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> I would particularly re recommend that you go on Thursdays where there's an organ accompaniment, the acoustics are excellent, and even the most delicate sounds can be heard. My wife is rather fragile and cannot attend regularly, and it, it's almost a year since she last went. Naturally, it pains her very much to not be able to go more often. Uh, it's my favourite story about misunderstandings. Uh, I want to begin here uh, because the God who dies, the death of Jesus, I think this is the most misunderstood event in history. Uh, if you've been at church for a while, that might seem a bit strange, but I think it is the most important event in history and it is the most misunderstood event in history. Most people, if you went out there, they would have absolutely no idea why it happened. No idea why it happened. And the death of Jesus on the cross for sins is even falling out of favour amongst Christian people. Many in the church are turning their back on the cross. Uh, for many, if it's still retained at all, it's reduced to just a good example of loving sacrifice, what a good friend would do, what a, what a noble uh, warrior of justice would do, a loving sacrifice. But in other quarters, it's openly ridiculed. The cross is scoffed at. Uh, here's a quote from a former bishop in America. He said this, I would choose to loathe rather than worship a deity who required the sacrifice, the death on the cross of his son. I would choose to loathe rather than worship that God, he says. And that was a few years ago that Mel Gibson produced that blockbuster uh, movie, The Passion of the Christ. If you're old enough to have seen it, you probably remember it was pretty brutal it was a really confronting portrayal about Jesus' suffering and death. And as far as we know from the Bible and history, it was pretty accurate as well. And sometimes a movie like that can be good for us. We can, you know, we're here in the 21st century. We can feel we're pretty far removed from the first century. And so a movie like that can help us become more aware of the horror and the, the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. And the film, it, it showed in great detail how he suffered how he suffered appalling brutality, but it never in the film explains why. It never explains why. You, you saw the blood oozing through the nail holes in his hands, but the film never explains why that happened. Why did he do that? Why does God let himself be killed in that way? Because last week we saw that Jesus is fully God. And if he wanted to, if the thought just entered his mind, the whole thing would have been over in a blaze of glory. But it, the thought didn't enter his mind because he chose to remain obedient to the Father. And so why did it happen? 
Why did Jesus let himself be killed there on that cross? I mean, was it just a tragic miscarriage of justice? They just got the wrong guy on the day. Was it an unfortunate end to a promising ethical career? This guy could have really gone places and just tragically cut short. Was it a political thing? Well, from the film, you wouldn't know. And so what we've got to do is we've got to read the Bible. We've got to read the Gospels. We've got to read the whole Bible to understand why Jesus suffered so terribly, to understand why God would die. Jesus, fully God and fully man, why he died on the cross, in, on a Roman cross in Palestine. When we open the Bible, we discover uh, that as Jesus dies on the cross, it's not just a good example. It's not something to be scoffed at. It's not something on the periphery of Christianity, kind of a, 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 a thing on the side. It's central. It's central to who God is. It's central to the whole message of the Bible. It, the cross and Jesus' death on the cross, for you and for me, it takes us deep, deep, deep into the heart of God and what he is like. And the first thing I wanted to see, to see this morning is that on the cross, Jesus suffered what we deserve. On the cross, Jesus suffered what we deserve. Now, the way we'll be tackling uh, this week's uh, doctrine is we'll uh, be anchored in this account of Jesus' death uh, in Matthew's Gospel that Jerry read for us. And, but we'll bounce out of this into other passages in the Bible. Uh, I'll put most of them up on the screen, but it'd be great if you kept Matthew chapter 27 open in front of you. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, uh, I want you to look at verse 45 with me. I'll read a little bit more from verse 45. So Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus would have spoken at the time. And it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with, with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now let's leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That means he died. Now, Matthew, he's the he was the author of this biography about Jesus. He wants to us to understand quite clearly a few things about, about what was going on when Jesus suffered and died. And he wants us to understand that Jesus was suffering what we deserve. Jesus was suffering what we deserve. Now, let me explain. First, uh, the first way we know that is that his suffering had been predicted centuries earlier. Uh, see, the cross of Jesus, Jesus dying, when, when the Romans hang Jesus up on the cross, God is not going, oh my goodness, how did this happen? No, God had this as the plan from the very beginning. The cross isn't plan B or C or D. The cross has always been God's plan. And we know that because of the darkness in verse 45. Darkness came over the whole land for these three hours in the middle of the day. That had been described centuries earlier. For example, in Isaiah chapter 13, it was written about 800 years before Jesus, we read that on the day of God's anger, this would happen. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10, the rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. Or we could go to Amos 8. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, 
I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will make that time like morning, like morning for an only sun. And so it was predicted centuries before by the prophets in the Old Testament that a day of darkness would come in the middle of the day and God would punish sins and he would mourn for an only son. And then there's the cry in verse 46 that Jesus cries out. uh, As he cries out, he's quoting in the beginning of a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when we head back to that psalm written a thousand years before Jesus, in this psalm of David, we read these words that are very familiar. And they ring true of Jesus' experience. This is Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. And verse 16, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. It's all describing the suffering of God's king. Uh, We know Psalm 22, it's about God's king who would suffer brutally and there'll be mocking and gambling for his clothes. And then there's the vinegar as well in verse 48. It's a strange detail, vinegar. Why do we need to know that they gave Jesus vinegar to drink? Well, again, there's a psalm in the Old Testament that speaks of God's chosen, saving king. He suffers terribly and, and this would happen in Psalm 69, verse 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. <clears throat> do you see what's happening here? Matthew's trying to point out to anyone who knows their Old Testament, he's trying to point out that That Jesus' death is not some unfortunate accident. This is not some terrible miscarriage of justice. The death of Jesus in this way is something that God had predicted for centuries and planned centuries before. But why did he do it? Well, we're supposed to pick up from this passage that he was suffering the just punishment for sin. He was atoning for sin. Uh, Now, we looked uh, at sin a few weeks ago when we thought about uh, the God who is rejected. Uh, When we think about sin, we often think about uh, particular vices, particular naughty things that people do, like rape and murder and violence and greed, and those are horrible things. But I want us to realize that they are just symptoms of sin. They are just symptoms of sin. At the heart, sin is rebellion against God and all of us are naturally rebelling against God. We don't like God nosing in. We don't like God coming in and telling us how to run our lives. Thank you very much. And we saw a few weeks back that sin is actually where we we take God, the Creator, off the throne and we put ourselves in His seat. We choose to run things our own way and we choose to ignore Him and reject Him and, and keep Him out of our life. And that's sin. And, and sin, the Bible tells us, it ruins everything. And we saw how we, we, we doubt God's word. We deny what he said. We distrust who he is and that he is good. The appropriate response to that, if we've shoved God off the throne and taken our seat in his place, the appropriate response to that sort of behavior is that God says, I'll give you what you've asked for. He'll leave us alone. He'll have nothing to do with us. And when Jesus was around, he warned people that was an appalling state to be in. None of us have any idea what it's like to have nothing good from God because God has been so generous to us in all of life. Now just imagine 
all the good things in life taken away. All of them taken away. Friends and family and food and fun. Absolutely everything and anything that gives you joy and pleasure and fulfillment and happiness, take it away. It all belongs to God and he's gone and you're utterly alone without God and all that he's given you. Jesus had a word for that. It's called hell and he says, I don't want you to go there. Jesus described it like being on fire. That's how appalling it is. But that's what's in store for us if we push God away. And God says, fine, have it your way. I will go and I'll take all my good things with me. But back to Matthew 27, there's something amazing that happens here as Jesus is dying all alone on the cross. As Jesus is dying all alone on the cross, all alone on the cross what does he cry out? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's extraordinary. And the reason is because Jesus is the only person in all of history who doesn't, doesn't deserve the experience of being abandoned by God. He doesn't deserve it. And yet there he is dying on a cross, crying out in agony at this moment as he experiences this separation from God, this abandonment from God, as he experiences the consequences of sin. And why is he suffering the punishment due for rebelling against God? I mean, that's the punishment that we deserve. We rebelled against God. He never has. Why is he suffering in that way on the cross? Well, here's where we get to the heart of what's going on. Here's actually where we get to what is the best news you'll ever hear. He was suffering the punishment for you and for me. He was suffering the punishment that was for you and for me. That is why the transcendent God shrunk himself down and became some ordinary bloke in Palestine. Why would God, the creator of the universe, the ruler of the world, why would he shrink himself down to be some five foot ten Jewish tradesman? Well, he did it so that he could swap places with ordinary people like us. He came to swap places with us and suffer on the cross the punishment that we deserved for the way that we've treated him. Now, just to get a little bit nerdy for you at the moment, uh, there's, a, there's a, a three big words that are used to describe this. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. Now, that is Christ, by his own sacrificial choice, was punished. He was penalized. In the place of sinners like you and me, substitution, thus satisfying demands of justice, atonement, so that God can justly forgive sinners. That is what is going on on the cross. If you want an image for it, just jump back to that section that we read before of Jesus and Barabbas. Here you have Barabbas, a murderer, and Jesus, the innocent one. Barabbas is set free. Jesus goes to the cross. Now remember that bishop I quoted earlier, I would choose to loathe rather than worship a deity who required the sacrifice of his son? The trouble is that this idea, this idea that Jesus laid down his life, paying the penalty for our sin, it's all through the Bible, it's, it's everywhere. Here's some of these verses, 1 Peter chapter 2, he, bore him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. 
by his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Romans 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In Hebrews chapter 9, just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Now I could go on all day. Jesus died taking our penalty He swapped places with us. That should have been me on the cross. It should have been you on the cross. But instead it was Jesus. So that we don't have to. And do you know why he does it? Do you know why he does it? He does it because he loves you. He does it because he loves you. He takes your punishment on himself out of love. He loves you passionately. He doesn't want you to get what you deserve. And that's some love, isn't it? Here is someone who loves you so much that they swap places for you on the cross, suffering in your place. Now, at the moment, that might just be information for you, just ideas, information, facts. But when we realize this personally, when we realize that That should have been me. When we realize that, then everything changes. When you discover that he swapped places with you and he died on the cross, uh, not just for other people, but for you, well, that ought to change everything. Uh, In the Falkland Islands War in uh, 1982, there was only two Victoria Crosses awarded. uh, And the first, uh, one of the two was awarded to a guy called Ian Mackay. He was with the Parachute Regiment and they were on the big march to Port Stanley and it was an epic march where they got there so quickly that they surprised the Argentinians and they took the island over before they realised it. But on the march, they got trapped on a mountainside. Uh, There was no cover, there was an enemy machine gun post at the top of the hill and and the machine gun was just shooting down, like, like, like sitting ducks on the British soldiers down the hill and just in the open. Well, Mackay and his platoon... Uh, they were pinned down. It was pretty clear that they were all going to get slaughtered unless someone did something quick. And do you know what Mackay did? He threw his rifle down. He pulled two grenades off his chest webbing. He pulled the pins. He charged up the hill screaming and he jumped into the machine gun post and he blew it up with himself in it. Now imagine you're one of his platoon on the side of the hill. All hell is breaking loose, screaming, yelling, you're being shot at, there's explosions, and you see Mackay get up and charge up the hill screaming and and bang, and then it's all over. Silence. And you're sitting there in the silence going, that man just died for me. Now, whatever you thought of Mackay up until that point, everything changes, doesn't it? From that moment on, everything changes. That bloke just died for me. Now, Ian Mackay didn't die for me. But I know that Jesus Christ did. He died on the cross for the rubbish that I do to God and to other people. He died so that I didn't have to. 
And the moment we realize that, our life will change. Our impression of Jesus will change. We'll understand that on the cross, he suffered what we deserve so that we don't have to go through it ourselves. And, and when we realize that, that is fantastic. That is the best news you will ever hear. And the achievements that Jesus won through his death on the cross, they're, they're amazing. And we're going to run through a few of them. Because uh, when Jesus died, immediately three things happen. Uh, first, we are given access to God. Come back to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, look at verse 51. Chapter 27, verse 51. At that moment, which is the moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. <coughs> uh, now, what's, what's that all about? Uh, well, the curtain being referred to here is the, uh, is the curtain in the big temple in the middle of Jerusalem. The curtain was uh, 80 foot tall, one piece of material uh, in the middle of the temple. And it represented this, this, this terrible barrier. The idea uh, that it was picturing in the temple was that behind the curtain was God in all his uh, kind of purity and holiness. And, and wicked people were like, like us, were on the outside. And, and the curtain stood in between us and God and we couldn't enter into his presence. We couldn't go and be with God. We couldn't live with God forever because we were so rotten and he was so good and there was this barrier. But as Jesus died on the cross, what happens? Well, that curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. The barrier is broken so that the, the way is open for ordinary people like you and me to come and live with God. And it's a great visual aid for us to understand that the way is open now. Sinful people like us, we can be open to live with God forevermore. It's like the Berlin Wall, that great wall that divided the city of Berlin for 38 years. It was a barrier that stood between two enemies, the two enemies of the Cold War. And on the 11th of November, 1989, the wall was torn down. The war was coming to an end. There was now free access between east and west. And like this curtain, it's the end of the war between God and his people. We've been, we may have been hostile to God for so many years, but now the barrier has been broken. It has been opened up because Jesus died in our place. And now with God and the curtain open, he's saying, he's saying, come in, come in. You're welcome with me. Come and get to know me. Come and let me be good to you. Come, come, for, come for the rest of your life and for eternity beyond. Come and be with me. Your sin has been paid for. You can come in now. See, not only does Jesus' death give us access to God, it also gives us life with God. Take a look at verse 52. Verse 52, the tombs were broken open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, I've got to admit, that's, that's weird. Um, dead people just kind of cruising around, coming back to life. Imagine you're sitting there for dinner and the kind of old Uncle John turns up. He's dead a few years, but he's come back. It's weird, right? But what we're supposed to understand from this is because Jesus has suffered our punishment, because he's done that, he's broken the power of death. He's broken the power of death. And what that means for those of us who trust in him, it means that death is not the end. Death is not the start of separation from God, but it's the start of a, a life of eternity with God. A new resurrected life living with God in his eternal paradise. 
And, and to help us understand that these people, they come back to life. And it's an illustration of what will come to all of us through the death of Jesus. Eternal life living with God. <clears throat> and the third thing that achieves, the death of Jesus achieves, is it gives us knowledge of God. Verse 54. Verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened... They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Now these soldiers, they, they've just put Jesus to death and they've seen all the pyrotechnics, they've seen the earthquake, the darkness and everything that's going on. And, 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 and as they see this, suddenly it dawns on them that this man who died on the cross, well, he really was who he said he was. God the Son, Jesus They'd killed him. And, and I bet they were terrified. How bad is that? The whole place is shaking. How would you feel if you just realized that you nailed God's son to a cross? I mean, you'd be shaking in your sandals, wouldn't you? Um, remember, these are Gentile soldiers. They've been raised to think that Caesar is the son of God. And now they've realized that they've got it totally wrong. That this is God here on the cross. And as they look at him, he's completely opposite to what they ever would have imagined. They thought that God was kind of like a, a, would be a big, strong, powerful tyrant. Like many people today, they look at the cross and they see weakness. They look at the cross and they see failure. They look at the cross and they see foolishness. They see anything but power. Until you come to know what God is like. And these centurions, they're beginning to realize that God is not a tyrant. God is not a tyrant. God is a servant. He's actually willing to die on the cross for your salvation. And it's a wonderful thing to discover that the the supreme being isn't some transcendent deity that doesn't really care that much about us, but to realize that he loves us so much that he became an ordinary man to suffer what we deserve on the cross. You see, as Jesus dies on the cross, we see more clearly than almost any other time, we see what God is like. We see that God is love. We see that God is willing to serve even us, rebels like us, because he loves us so much. You see, on the cross, Jesus suffered what we deserve. And on the cross, he won for us access to God, life with God, knowledge of God and it's all because he loves you he loves you that much I remember Ian Mackay the Falklands War they recently installed a plaque on the site on the hill where he blew himself up with the machine guns and here it is and I want you to see what it says down the bottom I've enlarged a little bit this is what it says down the bottom greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life his friends it's a real shame they didn't quote the author does anyone know who said that it's the words of jesus john chapter 15 greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends it was jesus who said those words it was jesus who lived by those words 
It was Jesus who died by those words. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so the obvious response to such great news is to trust in Jesus. Trust in the one who died on the cross, suffering what we deserve. If you're not sure how to start trusting in Jesus, what that might look like, uh, it's actually can be, it's very simple. It's, I, I think often it's, you, you can just boil it down to three simple things. It's saying sorry, saying thank you, and saying please. Coming to God and saying sorry. I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for ignoring you all these years. I'm sorry for telling you to go away and leave me alone. It's only appropriate that we apologize and say sorry. And secondly, we need to say thank you. Thank you so much for dying for me on a cross. I can't believe that you did that for me. Thank you so much for taking what I deserve. And finally, saying please. Please would you forgive me now and would you help me follow you? Please would you help me how to learn how to love you and love others and serve you from now on? And once you come to God and you say, I'm sorry, thank you, please. Once you start trusting in Jesus, you'll have access to God. You'll have eternal life with God. You will know God. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard it before and you've thought, okay, um, I think I get it, but I'm going to shelve it. I'll sort this out later. I'm too young to become a Christian. I've got, there's too much fun ahead of me that I don't want to kind of limit my options um, I'll, I'll come to it later once I've had a bit more, a bit more of life. Maybe you're saying, I'm too busy now to, to sort this out. It's going to make life too complicated if I come and trust in Jesus or follow Jesus. If that's you, can I, can I just say, can I politely plead with you and say, don't delay? Can I say, don't put this off? Don't wait until it's too late because there will be a time when it will be too late. Uh, Shortly after Adele and I got married, uh, we travelled to Europe uh, and we had had timed our flight home from Europe uh, to kind of land just just at 12 hours before some good friends of ours were getting married. Uh, On our last morning in Paris, we decided to squeeze in one more museum before racing to the airport to get our flight back home. And it was all going well until we turned up to the metro station uh, and the ticket machine was broken. And the Paris metro works. You can't even get into the station and on a train without a ticket. So uh, what we had to do is we rushed down the street to the next metro station uh, and by the time we got our ticket and we got on the metro and we got to the train, we'd missed the train to the airport and we had to wait for the next one. And at the airport, we're rushing through the airport and it's touch and go and we get to the counter and our plane is sitting there just just a a few panes of glass away. It's just sitting there. And the French man on the other side of the counter says, I'm sorry, the flight has closed. And we were like, ah, it's just there. Just let us on. She'll be right, because we're from Australia and we speak like that. Uh, The plane is just there. Come on. Surely it's fine. Like, I'm sorry, sir. The flight is closed. Are you sure? I mean, we're here. The plane's here. Um, There was a problem at the station. It really wasn't our fault. Um, like we're, we're connecting with like three other flights. Surely you can just let us on. I'm sorry, sir. The flight has closed. You won't be getting on this plane. 
Now, wouldn't it be a tragedy if you missed out on what Jesus was offering? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if you were rushing around, trying to squeeze in a a little bit extra here and there, only to miss out on life, to miss out on forgiveness, to miss out on the love that God has shown you in Jesus? So what I want to say is, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. We have access to God. We have life with God. We have knowledge with God. So come to him today. Say sorry. Say thank you. Say please. And receive this great gift of love from the God who died. The God who died for you. Will you pray with me? God, it's just amazing that you would come into this world as a man, but not just to live, but you came in to die. And you died in such a horrible way so that we don't have to. You took the punishment that we deserve. And you've given us access to the Father and we can have life with you and we can know you. And so, Lord, we want to say sorry. Sorry for the things we've done wrong. Sorry for the way we've ignored you. And we want to say thank you. Thank you for dying for me on that cross. Lord, we just can't believe that you'd do that for us, that you took the punishment that we deserve. Thank you. And Lord, please, please would you help us now to follow you and to learn how to love you and others and to serve you from now on. And we pray all these things in the great name of Jesus, who died for us. Amen.